You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. This is week four of our study in the book of Galatians as um, uh, avoiding a divided table over different tastes. And uh, this is the last week of this series. And so if you've been joining us uh, the first three weeks, um, you'll have got an idea of what we've been talking about throughout this series, what Paul is getting at in this series. Uh, we decided, um, by the way, this, is it working? Uh, John, can you just get to the slides as well? And I mean, I know there's 17 things you're, you're being asked to do. <laughs> One of which is to have the slides on so I can, there we go. Um, this is the book that we are, uh, that I am referencing as uh, we go through this series, and I would encourage our community, if you want to go on Amazon and pick it up, you can do so. You can also pick it up from me, if nobody else is, if you'd like to read it. Um, so this is a great book. Mark D. Baker is the author of this, and this whole book is on uh, the study, or on the book of Galatians. But uh, week one, we are, we are talking about what had Paul so upset to begin with. Uh, why is he writing this letter? Why is there this sense of urgency? And uh, we said that Paul's big beef was that a bounded gospel was being preached, resulting in lines that were being drawn between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and those lines were causing division. And then, in our second week, we talked about how Paul urges the Galatians to move past this paradigm of bounded and fuzzy sets. Those are not Paul's words. Those are our, our words, but that's essentially the gist of what he was getting at. Either churches that are you know, divine, defined by these lines that they draw that says you're in or you're out, or churches that say, you know what, it doesn't matter what you have, we can erase all those lines, none of that matters. And we're saying there's a better way, and Paul was advocating to the Galatians a better way of uh, of perceiving all of this, and that is centered on God's grace, centered on the cross. That it's because of the cross that all of our efforts, all of those things that we use to distinguish one from the other, whether they are race, uh, our social status, our ethnicities, our right beliefs, uh, whatever they might be, they all sort of wither away in light of the cross. The cross is the thing that nullifies all of the lines. Uh, and it proves, and the, 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 the cross allows us to find our identity, find our center on him, and not on the things that up to then have divided us. And that is good news. And then last week, we said that for individuals and for communities who are centered on Christ, who find their identity in Christ, that there are traits that will emerge. Traits that show um, what, that distinguish those communities, those individuals from others. And um, we said that one of those traits was this removal of status as individuals within the church. That our worth and our value that the world gives us from work, from our education, from our accomplishments, whatever they might be, they all ultimately mean nothing when we gather in community centered on Jesus. 
which doesn't mean we lose our identity in those things or we lose our, you know, we become sort of this monolithic sort of uh, 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 single blob identity. No, in fact, the, the, the beauty of being centered on the cross is that it allows our diversity to flourish, that we can celebrate those things without finding our status and finding our worth in those things. And that's a really cool thing. And then uh, we looked at that linchpin verse that holds the entirety of Galatians together. Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 27. He said, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is a theme that Paul uh, repeats throughout the New Testament. He says this, very similar in 1 Corinthians, just as a body... This is the metaphor that many of us are familiar with, the body with many parts. Has, uh, as many parts forms one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. There's those, um, that binary again. And we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So there's this idea that the body of Christ, Christians, the, the, the family of God, Sure, you have all these differences. Sure, you have all these things that divide, that, that you can um, find your uh, identity in outside. But within the body of Christ, we are all equal. None of us is elevated over another. And so if we are in Christ, we are free from defending our worth or our value or promoting ourselves over others um, by some societal standard that's imposed on us or whatever. And it frees us to acknowledge as acknowledge those differences between us, to celebrate those diversities. And then also we said last week that uh, when we center our community, our individuality, our identity on Jesus, and we remove the need to concern ourselves with the need to be validated by proving our worth or arguing for our belonging, it also gives us the freedom of experiencing what being part of a family is, where there is unconditional acceptance, and I think I have the next one. Oops, no. Unconditional acceptance, yeah, in a judgment-free family, a judgment-free environment that can foster the kind of uh, vulnerability and authenticity that we typically experience in the comforts of our own home. That's what, that's a, that's a beauty, that's a gift that is offered to us as a, as a family of God. And we said last week that when we have that kind of environment, when we are in that kind of environment and we live in that, um, it sort of sets the perfect condition that causes transformation to happen, both within our own lives, but within us as a community as well. And so that's what we want to foster as Grassroots Church. And that's what we've been learning from the book of Galatians. And so this morning, um, we want to wrap this series up and we want to look at the end of Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 15 to 16, and it says this. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. That's good. That's good news. That's great. Word. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. So this morning I want to get a little bit nerdy, um, biblically nerdy. Uh, who can tell me where else we read about new creation in the New Testament? What other passage in Scripture? Does anyone know? There's one other passage, not Revelation. What is it? 
It's not, okay, there is revelation, but outside of revelation, I meant. Sorry, I should have qualified that. What's the other, like, passage? There's one verse that many of us memorize. Does anyone remember it? First Corinthians 5, 17. Correct. First Corinthians 5. I knew my, this church, you guys know your Bible. That's great. Um, this is uh, this is this is what I learned. This this really kind of blew my mind. I think it it helps a lot as we try to understand new creation and what we're talking about this morning. So when I memorized 1 Corinthians 5.17 as a child, it was sort of like this. Uh, this is the ESV. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. Uh, the CEV says, Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. And so with translations like this, we typically understand new creation to refer to what happens when a person is saved, when they experience salvation. And that's how I've always seen it. Good chance that you've always seen it that way as well. Um, And it's not wrong, per se, but it's not complete either. And so here's what I learned this week. Uh, Mark Baker says that uh, the NASB actually translates it, not best, but it at least indicates what's going on. So watch this. So in the NASB, it says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things pass away. Now, this person is in italics. And whenever you see italics in the scriptures, it means it's an interpretive um, decision by the translators. The words were not there in the original. They were added there to help make the text more clear. That makes sense? And we see that all through the Psalms. We see that all through Scripture, actually. Uh, and NASB does a really good job of, of indicating. A lot of, the te- a lot of translations don't do that. They just give it to you, and then you have to do the research to be like, is that actually in the original text? Um, but this one does. And so NASB is a good translation for that purpose. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is not in that original text. Uh, notice... Um, that, again, th- that, that's not in the original Greek. The NIV, which is a very common pa- uh, translation that we use, it actually acknowledges this. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. It's not as flowy as the ESV, maybe, or those other versions, um, but it's actually more accurate with the original translation, with the original uh, text. Uh, Same thing with the New Revised Standard. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And in fact, we see this same issue in Galatians as well. It says this, for neither circumcisions count for anything nor uncircumcision, but new creation. Well, what does this mean? Uh, Baker helps us understand this a lot. He suggests that new creation is not explicitly referring to an individual's salvation. Uh, the transformation that happens from before they're saved until after they're saved. That's, again, it, it can include that, but that's not the extent of that. And he says that any text or any translation that lays this out is an interpretation on behalf of the translator. They've decided to make it, to interpret it that way. And they've included that in the text. And so the problem is that if we go with the individual as new creation understanding, it leads us to lean on a transformation at the individual level only. 
I told you we're getting nerdy. And this sort of looking inward uh, at, at experiencing change, that change is done when we look inward. Alternatively, the idea of new creation as being new creation leads us to conceive of Christ's work in a much sort of broader, outward-looking way. Impacting the individual, sure, but far more than just the individual. We're impacting the world, the community. We're changing creation. When someone or, or, or when a community is in Christ, that new creation is here. That community is a new creation community. New creation is birthed. It's experienced. It extinguishes the old creation, the old ways of doing things, the way the world was. Why are we going so deep into this new creation stuff? What's the point? Well, again, when we get back to the book of Galatians, with an understanding of new creation as having much wider implications than simply individualistic transformation because of salvation, um, things begin to make more sense. And we can begin with... Uh, chapter 1, right? The beginning of Galatians. In Galatians, it says this, uh, Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, which sounds really like, eerie, the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father. Hmm, the present evil age. Now that's an interesting term. Um, he writes this, In the present evil age, law reigns, not grace. A variety of laws and standards measure people's status and worth. Religious law, economic law, the law of merit, honor code, social, gender, ethnic categories. We can add a whole bunch of lists to that, right? This is what we've been talking about with bounded group thinking. In other words, all the things that cause us to divide over as humanity, as, uh, within community, stuff we've talked about over the last few weeks that, that caused lines of division, lines of categorizing one over another. The present evil age refers to bounded group religiosity that humans use to find worth, to elevate ourselves, to compare ourselves to others when the cross is not a part of the story. When the cross doesn't have a place to play in this, then we are left with this present evil age. We are left with this means of finding how do I establish my worth, my value in this community, in this world. That's what Paul's getting at with this present evil age. And this is something that we... Uh, I, I've said all along that we tend to drift toward this by default, as a default posture, that it is really, really hard to transcend this way of thinking, isn't it? But Jesus giving himself for us rescues us from this present evil age. Notice, an age is not about an individual. An age is about an age time period, a culture, uh, and it can include an individual, but it's so much more than that. An age is a lived reality for the people in Galatia. It is the way of life. It's their culture. It's their uh, collective ethic that they fall back on. It's this approach to survival 
as a society. And specifically for these Christians in Galatia, their present evil age looks like just a huge inferiority complex in light of the Jewish Christians who are imposing on them a set of rules, a set of lines that say this is what it takes to be in, to be counted by God, to be accepted by God. And so there is, for those Galatian Christians, shame. And one of the traits of this present evil age is, uh, at least being on the receiving end of it, is shame. And if you've experienced shame, you've experienced this present evil age. Um, the, the present evil age is fueled by shame. Shame is the air that is breathed within the present evil age. It is deeply entrenched in this present evil age. It's always a byproduct of bounded group thinking, of us versus them. But the cool thing is here, the, the thing that's kind of an encouragement is that Paul, uh, that Paul is bringing to the Galatians is that in the end of the evil age, it's not some far-off future liberation that we can expect, but it, it's now. Paul's saying this, there's a new reality that can be lived right here, right now. And it's because of the cross, it's because of the resurrection that we have access to this new reality. And in that new reality he calls the new creation, there is no shame. Shame has no say in this new creation that is lived right here and right now. So, if we were to take... Oh, there's shame. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot to, anyway, we, sometimes you gotta, you guys have to help me out a little bit in the sound room. Sometimes I, I miss up, but uh, new creation community doesn't know shame. Uh, so if we take one verse four at the beginning of this book, this present evil age, and then we take 615 at the end of this book, this new creation, right? There is, um, I think it's, yeah, for Paul, 1-4, uh, the present evil age leads to new creation through the cross. If we want to experience new creation, we put the cross at the center. We put Jesus at the center, which is what we've been trying to learn throughout this series. Um, and they serve as sort of two bookends to this letter to the Galatians. There is this deep sense of shame that dissipates in a community in which there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. When the lines that divide us are gone, we experience shame-free new creations. Does that make sense? And again, that, that table at, um, in Galatians, sorry, in Antioch that, uh, Peter, that Paul references at the beginning when he tells the Galatians of the story about Peter, this embarrassing story with Peter where he was eating with, uh, there, was, there was, everyone was eating together and it was a lovely time and then these outside visitors came from Jerusalem and they kind of started making uh, Peter feel embarrassed and fe feeling shamed and so and to the point where he separated from the Gentile Christians. What was left was a ton of shame on those Gentile Christians. They felt, oh no, we're not good enough. We're inadequate. The great Peter is not willing to eat with us, right? And so there was this division at Antioch. But before that division, there was this beautiful new creation community that was happening. And that is... Um, this new creation is, this, this, uh, is, is the transformation of the present evil age. 
And so they can push against the current of the world and, and they can eat together because of Jesus. Acceptance and inclusion becomes the new air that is breathed in new creation. And shame doesn't have a foothold there. Um, and I wrote this. Uh, no, I didn't. I meant to write. The work on the cross is the catalyst that frees us from the present evil age and beckons us into new creation community. So as a community, that's what I want us to focus on. It's the work of the cross. It's the cross, Jesus on the cross and his con subsequent resurrection that frees us from finding our identity in all of these things. New creation points us um, not just to being freed from guilt, that individualistic component that we can thank Martin Luther for, uh, helping us understand Galatians for the last 500 years. Like, there's absolutely that. But it also frees us from these cycles of shame because it transcends bounded lines of exclusion that result in shame, and it opens us up to different ways of being of seeing the world, um, of understanding the unique roles that each of us get to play within the, the world and within the body of Christ. Notice in 6.15, Paul says this. I think I got this. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Now, in the present evil age, in a mindset of religiosity, in a bounded way of thinking, circumcision is used to divide over. That's what the... Uh, the visitors were imposing on the church of Galatia. You got to get circumcised if you're going to be a part of the family of God or make God happy or whatever. That, that's part of what's needed to be done. But notice that in rejecting circumcision as a requirement, Paul doesn't go to the, end of the, the other end of the continuum and say, hey, we need to start promoting no circumcision because that's real freedom. He doesn't say that because that's what we would expect him to do. You know, don't get caught up in this legalism of circumcision. Instead, don't get circumcised. But Paul's too smart for that, isn't he? <laughs> uh, because the thing about bounded thinking is it doesn't matter the content of the line. What matters is, is how the line is used to divide. And that's really important. The line itself that you, that you hold, everyone holds, like we said before, values, convictions, beliefs. That's okay. The content of the line is not the issue. The, how we yield that line to elevate ourselves, to uh, put ourselves, to give ourselves worth and value and, and put ourselves over others is what matters. And so we're thinking um, we're moving toward freedom by rejecting circumcision, that we're moving toward, you know, grace alone. Absolutely, that's beautiful. But if what we're doing in rejecting circumcision is promoting non-circumcision, and that's the way, then we're not doing anything that gets us beyond the line, right? And Paul's, and that's where the wisdom of Paul comes in. He says, neither matter. It's not circumcision nor uncircumcision, but instead it's new creation. New creation is what matters. Look past circumcision, transcend this either or. And Baker adds this to this line. He says, in this verse, Paul is saying bounded church lines, whatever their content, are not important. What matters is living out an in-Christ-centered approach. God's actions through Jesus has freed the Galatians from the former and provides the possibility of living together in a totally new way. 
And this is the possibility that's before us as a community, striving to be centered on Jesus, to become new creation community. Amen? To not just reject circumcision and then plant our flag in the no circumcision plant, that's, or a camp, that, that's not the point. That doesn't see beyond the lines. But for us to be able to transcend those lines in order to encounter new creation here. So, this morning, on that note, I would like to get a little bit real with us as a community. Um, we've been talking throughout this series about the bounded thinking ways that these Jewish Christians that they imposed upon the Galatians. You know, they were saying circumcision. Uh, you have to follow the Sabbath. You have to follow these religious uh, holidays. You have to eat kosher. All of the things that basically made them functionally Jewish. None of that stuff applies to us today. We're not struggling with that, are we, as a church? Right? Not too many of us are dealing with Jewish customs and traditions and imposing that on one another. But we definitely have our own lines that reinforce the present evil age that we're trying to be freed from. And that, pr- and that present evil age perpetuates shame. And we've all been victims of shame. And we probably, many of us, most of us, dare I say, have imposed shame on others, have caused others to feel pretty crappy. And so these, there are bounded ways of thinking that we have experienced um, by virtue of just being part of church growing up, whether it's this church or whether it's any church. And this morning, as sort of a closing exercise or activity as a community, as we wrap around this series, I want to talk about those things. I want us to find... Um, to share what some of those bounded lines, what some of that group, that bounded group thinking has been in your life that has caused you to feel shame or that maybe you have imposed on others. And the idea here is for us to have as a church family a conversation um, and then to confess that, repent of it, and then pray toward being a centered on Jesus community. I promise this won't be weird. It's going to be weird. <laughs> um, so I have, uh, I have this. Whip. Yeah, I know. Flip it, but then sometimes the flip doesn't work. So you got to go. What are the lines that grassroots have struggles? And let me go first to kind of prime the pump. They're not going to be all crazy. Some of them are going to be social. Some of them are going to be theological, cultural. Um, there are many lines that we have. One, and it's kind of silly, um, that we have experienced, and I, oh, actually, I've, I've, I've not just, I haven't really experienced that much, but I've heard others say this. It's during our potlucks. Um, there are folks within our community who have said that they felt a little bit sheepish, shame, to share their meal because there is this unspoken perception that what they have to offer isn't healthy enough according to grassroots standards. Has anyone, anyone felt that? Oh, Jen? Okay. <laughs> Nita? There you go. <laughs> it's got to be granola. Um, so I'm going to call that uh, let's food 
Oh, you know, I'm going to call it potluck. Let's call it potluck. Let's get specific. I'm going to call this potluck. Does, um, is there a volunteer who wants to write on the board? Anyone? 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 No? Oh, awesome, Hillary. Thanks. You're going to write potluck uh, food. I don't know how to write. <laughs> you can do. Um, so that's one. Uh, do, do you understand where I'm getting at with this? Again, the content of the line is irrelevant. But if you have felt shame because of that line, then that's the problem. And that's what we want to confess. And that's what we want to transcend. We want to repent and move beyond as a community. And this is going to be a journey. We're not going to arrive there after this exercise. This is going to take years. But I think the first step is to acknowledge this, right? If you have been a part of this community for any length of time and you've experienced those lines, or you know people who have not stepped foot in grassroots church because of a perception they've held, whether right or wrong, um, that, can be, that can be a line. They felt like, oh, there's too much shame. I, I would feel too ashamed to come to that church because I don't, what is it? Um, and it can be silly, like, potlucks. That's, but it, I mean, it's silly, but it's also like real, right? Like that's legit. Um, what are some of the other lines that you've heard? And maybe they're not even experienced in this church, but maybe you've heard like others. Heather, intelligence. 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 Can you explain that? Being, being really well read, right? There is this expectation that if you don't, if you're not you spelled it right. If you're not really well read, that you don't fit in. You can't be a part of the conversation. Right? Is that getting to it? Sure. Marsha. Pandemic views. Yeah, that was divisive. We lost a lot of people over that, didn't we? Lost a lot of people because they didn't toe the line that we held, we held regarding... Uh, mandates regarding vaccines, whatever they were, right? And people felt that they couldn't share their voice in this community because it was different. There was shame in that. That was very much present evil age thinking. Matt? Holding fast to traditional church beliefs. Do you want to expand on that a bit? Ah, yeah, deconstructing is a buzzword that many people in this community have been throwing around the last couple of years. I'm going to move this over this way. Or Ruby, can you put this on the, uh, or can you adjust the video? I was just thinking of this as well. Um, but just so that that is shown on uh, the video. But yeah, so deconstruction is a sort of like buzzword that's thrown around. Uh, many people in our church have grown up here or grown up in different church contexts and then they come here and you know we celebrated a place for asking questions and expressing doubt and all this and some people just aren't there and then they feel like well if I'm not doing that do I belong to this community uh can I be a part of this right that's a line absolutely yeah well Vincent Okay, I think we can get specific. What are some of the social issues of our day that can cause lines? Maybe they are, maybe they aren't in our community, but they might down the road. Do you have any in mind? 
Does anyone have any issue, Jen? Sure, absolutely. I mean, those are the issues that they struggled with in Galatia too, didn't they? Right, slave and free, uh, status, social status, essentially, were lines. Yeah, yeah. Youth, do you guys have any ideas, any lines that you have experienced that have been imposed on you? Kel? Family choices. School and homeschool is one I had written down. Absolutely. Uh, Go ahead and expand on that a bit. Stay-at-home mom, wife not working. You know, you had to homeschool to fit in here. Yeah, we we felt that because we didn't homeschool. (laughs) And... And I would say the opposite. One sec, Paul. I would say the opposite is true as well, that homeschooled families maybe felt shame because the, everyone was promoting at one time, oh, you got to go to school and, you know, work and everything, like the rest of society. There's both sides. And again, the content almost doesn't matter, right? But how do we, yield, how do we wield that issue? Paul. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to be so careful in what you say because what happens if I say the wrong thing? What happens if I poke, a, poke holes in homeschooling? Or what happens if I poke holes in the public system? Or whatever. Yeah, whatever approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The terms change all the time. How do you get the right one? You don't want to misspeak um, for fear of offending. Um, an, another one that uh, just just parenting styles in general is one, right? Like, there's all there's a million different parenting styles. And years ago, I know that we would actually do parenting workshops here. Um, and if you didn't kind of toe that line, there is a sense of shame. And I know that we felt, um, maybe you did as well. I think there was a hand here. Or Scott? I was just going to say, one of the things that's going to be I love that. But they belong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we bike, I mean, we drive from 300 meters away. (laughs) So maybe there's an excuse. I don't know. Um, Yeah. Can we, I love that. Exactly. Can we be a community that somebody bikes and somebody drives and both feel 100% welcome here? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Jen? Yeah. So, like, someone who has lived on the street, they may want to come in, but they feel shame because they don't have clean clothes. I know my husband's grandma, when back in the day, she went to church, and because back in the day, you had to wear a skirt. She didn't have a skirt. She wasn't allowed in. Yeah. And so now she hates, like, I go there now, and she absolutely hates skirts. Right. Because she wasn't allowed to wear a skirt in yeah. the, like, 40s. Yeah. So, so that, 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 absolutely. That's, that's 
Brilliant. I really appreciate that. Yeah, what we dress to church, which is why Grassroots has always, I think, sought to just kind of like be casual, do what, dress however you like. You know, if you want to wear a suit and tie, go for it. If you want to wear jogging pants and shirt, go for it. Rhonda, it's allowed. I can. Um, But, but yeah, like this is, she's making me dress like a a rug or a curtain. Um, But, uh, but I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, churches that we've been a part of in the years in the past as well, you had to wear a suit and tie, and it's just like, man, how, are you, how is anyone from out there ever going to walk into this, these doors with this kind of approach thing, I think? So, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, so judgy, hey? Yeah, man. Sherry? Athleticism. All right. Can you can you expand on that? Yeah. No, I mean there's it, absolutely that's fair. What's that, Nita? And that's okay. Yes, it's totally okay. Amen. Some of us are just natural athletes that are amazing. Yes. I do want to wrap up. Social issues as well though. What are some that we are, can anticipate encountering as a church? Um, one that comes to mind is MAID, uh, medically assist, medical assistance in dying. That's a huge controversial issue. And it's, maybe you have a very clear understanding of it, but maybe there isn't a clear understanding of it. Do we divide over that? Um, LGBT stuff, that's an issue that we as a church community are going to have to confront and we're going to take a side on one side or another. You might have a very strong view on it. Do you have the grace and the um, willingness to see that there are other sides, that there are other parts, other uh, conversations that are being had about this topic that people are wrestling through on this issue? Um, abortion. There any, you name any social issue of our day, there are going to be a line, there's going to be lines drawn. You're going to have a position on it. And the question is, are we going to divide over that line? Any more? Yeah, that, that's right. And, and, and many of them, I don't think we do. I don't think we have to have a hard and fast, like this is what grassroots stance is on issue X. Um, some of them I think we will end up having to for practical purposes. And, uh, and that's, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Many of them, I don't think we have to have an official ex- position on these issues. But we all as individuals read the news, we consume media, we all form opinions and beliefs about things. And I guess what we're asking here is, do we have, um, do we have the humility and the grace to see that there are other perspectives at play here that are just as much um, seeking to have Jesus at the center, seeking to be faithful to Jesus in his way? And that maybe we'll land on different sides, but that does not mean we have to divide over that. That is a radically different way of disagreeing than what we've known. Jen, I'll let you get the last one. 
Yeah. Yeah. Takes us who as we are, absolutely. Um, well, thanks, friends, for this conversation. Thanks, Hillary, for writing this stuff down. Uh, I want to just pray over these things, and I'll invite the band up as we close and as we get into um, communion this morning as well. Father, we are just skimming the surface of all of the things that have potential to divide us, all the things that have divided us over the years, all the things that have caused shame, um, that have caused a sense of embarrassment, a, a sense that we are not measuring up, that we are not good enough, that, we, that our value is not as high as others. These are all things, Lord, that we have either experienced or we've imposed. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would move beyond this, recognizing just how challenging this can be, understanding, Lord, that we're not going to arrive there overnight, but that through your Spirit's work in our hearts and in our community, that you will cause us to see and to move beyond lines of division, beyond boundary, bounded group thinking, um, to be in Christ, to be centered on you and your work on the cross and transforming us as individuals and as a community. Thank you that we get to be uh, a part of new creation community, that we can move into this beautiful uh, vision of and live out this vision of what um, of what you've set before us, a way of being in this world that does not separate over a difference of opinion or a difference of conviction or a difference of culture or a difference of status or any other differences. Help us to be in Christ as a community. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.